0: This season of Tub Talk is brought to you by Barracuda MSP. Every 11 seconds there's a new ransomware attack. There are so many ransomware attacks that governments are now classifying them as terrorism. And it's not just big companies that are being targeted. Small and medium-sized businesses are becoming victims too. What are you as an MSP doing to help your clients from becoming the next victim? Barracuda MSP is here to help you ensure you and your clients are prepared and protected against the inevitable ransomware attacks. Let Barracuda MSP help you strengthen your ransomware protection plan as a special offer for tub talk listeners visit barracudamsp.com forward slash and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with barracuda msp that's barracudamsp.com forward slash tub talk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with barracuda msp thanks to barracuda msp for helping bring you tub talk now on with the show Well, hello there, Richard Tub here with a very special edition of Tub Talk, the podcast for it consultants now, using this podcast as a medium, I have done my very best to raise the profile for advancing women in it specifically, we have talked with some incredible women in i t for instance, if you 've not listened i 'd highly recommend episode sixty two of Tub Talk with Tracy Pound, for instance, just really inspiring and motivating. So, when the House of Lords and the British government reached out to me to see if I'd like to interview the Minister for Women, I jumped at the chance. Born in 1972, Baroness Berridge, or Elizabeth as you'll hear me break etiquette to call her during this interview, had a professional career as a barrister, before in 2011 she became the second youngest female member of the House of Lords. The first, you might ask? Well, it's a, a lady you may recognise, Martha Lane Fox of LastMinute.com. Elizabeth Beridge is a life peeress as Baroness Berridge of the County of Rutland, where she sits on the Conservative Party benches. She is Parliamentary Under Secretary of State for the School System at the Department of Education and Minister for Women. But regardless of your politics, after listening to our interview, I think you'll agree that Baroness Berridge is a lady who is passionate about raising the profile of women in society, and especially, it's got to be said, encouraging girls in the technology industry so while this is one of our shorter interviews on tub talk trust me when i say these politicians definitely have busy schedules i personally found this a very positive and inspiring conversation and i hope you do too enjoy my interview with baroness Beridge. baroness Beridge, welcome to tub talk how are you today
1: uh, fine, thank you. Thanks so much for the invitation.
0: Oh, my pleasure. I'm absolutely honoured that you would reach out to uh, to come and talk about it. Before we jump in, actually, I've got to ask, I understand that while you were born in Rutland, you've mm-hmm. got a great affinity for my hometown of Birmingham. Is that right?
1: Well, yes, I have visited. I, my sister lived for a little while up in Birmingham. So, uh, yes, I have travelled. In fact, I had the pleasure of changing trains and changing stations. Birmingham has that lovely uh, walk from New Street to Moore Street moment.
0: It does indeed. It does indeed. But well, I had to ask you about that because I'm, although I'm living in Newcastle upon time now, I am still a Brummie at heart. So I wanted to check in. So uh, for anybody who's not familiar, you took the role of Minister for Women and Equalities for the UK within the Department of International Trade in February 2020. Now, that was just one month before we were hit by this little thing of a global pandemic. That must have made for an interesting start to your responsibilities.
1: Yes, I mean, it it did. It was it was very strange, obviously, along with everybody else, the whole work from home issue. And then, of course, it's been very interesting to see the rise of obviously communication technology. But then also, of course, uh, very aware. And as the statistics now show, you know, women taking on more of the responsibilities, the caring responsibilities, whether that's for elderly relatives or children, and then obviously having to twice, having had lockdown, of a, including closure of schools, so re, and a lot of that responsibility falling on women. So it's it's been interesting to see the rise of technology, but also the rise of the responsibilities for women.
0: Yeah, I'd love to ask you more about that, but I want to get into what does the role of Minister for Women and Inqualities entail? What does a typical day look like for you, Baroness?
1: Oh my goodness, there is first of all, there is no such thing as a typical day. Um the you know the I'm also minister in the Department of Education, which is a really handy uh, crossover because obviously a lot of the opportunities for women to get into better paid, like particularly what we call STEM careers, obviously is to do with education and within the education department we have the uh, further education and skills focus. So that's really important to see um, uh, women coming across into like apprenticeships and getting access there. So there's no such thing as a typical day. So obviously uh, go to parliament to answer questions there on both these issues, but also it's about sort of working across government. There's lots of important work going on um, led from the Home Office on violence against women and girls and um, domestic abuse issues as well. So there is no such thing as a, as a typical day, but it's great. One of the things I really enjoy about the job is when I get to meet virtually actually, usually obviously at the moment um women uh you know who are you know you know hearing their real lived experiences and it's been very exciting to see you know apprentices and others who are women in construction women in engineering a woman women working on the tideway tunnel here the new sewer across london that's been really exciting so uh more and more i'm hoping to get out and about
0: yeah, fingers crossed for all of us there. So I've been a long-standing supporter of advancing women in IT, especially here on this podcast. We've interviewed a wide range of outstanding women in the technology space. I can think of Tracy Pan, Gemma Telford, Melissa Ellis, so many others. Yeah. The one thing that all of these guests speak to, Baroness, is that they've succeeded in IT despite it being a male-dominated industry. So for those listening, the the owners of IT businesses in the UK and indeed worldwide, what advice would you give to employers to allow them to encourage more talented women into the tech industry?
1: Yeah, I mean, we we know that if women were you know, entrepreneurs and starting businesses, we'd probably add about 250 billion to the economy. And we do know that actually, um, if boards that only have women had some, uh, only have, uh, don't have any women on, had women on, that improves the productivity. But what I would also say to employers is think about actually how you can make your, uh, your roles more attractive to women entering the workforce, that so you need that diversity. We need diversity of background and experience as well as gender in our workplaces. But think about the flexibilities you can offer. We've done quite a bit of research here uh, with um, behavioral insights into companies advertising jobs as flexible working tend to attract more women applicants. So it's about employers thinking, how can I make this job? And at the end of the day, I think I think the pandemic has shown us that for many people working at home and women, for instance, um, who've got, I also think, the flexible working works for women who've got disabilities or particular needs, that actually just being able to get the job done within it, the, the window of, say, 24 hours, whatever, rather than, oh, well, you have to be in the office doing that job from this hour to this hour. Because... That flexibility will include more people in the workplace. And I I think employers should really be looking at all that expertise that's out there um, in women who, if you just made a few changes and a few modifications, you could probably get them into your workforce as well.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I could not not agree more with that. Now, I want to rewind a little bit. I want Mm -hmm. to talk about encouraging young girls into the STEM areas, that's science, technology, engineering, and math. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lady, you might uh, remember her, actually, Elizabeth, uh, Maggie Philbin, somebody... um, yeah, oh, many of us. That, oh, my goodness,
1: that is taking me back. Yeah, I do. I so, talk, yeah.
0: For listeners, uh, and Elizabeth and I have got big smiles on our faces now talking about Maggie Philbin, but the, the reason being, uh, Maggie used to um, uh, host a television show here in the UK, a famous TV show called Tomorrow's World. Yeah. But the reason I bring uh, Maggie Philbin up is uh, she has done incredible work encouraging girls in the STEM areas, um, you know, helping schools, community groups. So, Baroness, for for the benefit of the mums and dads especially and anybody involved with raising children, how can we reduce and perhaps even eliminate this perception that technology uh, for young people is a boy's subject?
1: Yeah, in some ways I struggle to know where that comes from because obviously every Mm. young person you meet now has got a mobile phone. So why think because you're a user that you wouldn't be involved in? actually developing that and doing the programming and the coding uh, that all sits behind that. So I think it's about those role models um, going through. That's why with our um, Diversity Champions Network, we're trying to sort of promote the apprenticeships particularly uh, for, for girls to get involved in. And also, we're really pleased that there's been a about just under a third increase in girls taking STEM subjects. Um at A level. Um, but it is about just seeing that technology it is for everybody and not to believe this kind of, I think, particularly around maths there's this thing of like, I just can't do maths. And people like where well, it's a badge of pride. And actually, thinking, no, it's not a badge of pride to say I can't do maths. Um, but also we we have um at 16 to 19, we've got um about three uh maths schools that have opened specialists, six form colleges, and there's gonna be one per region. And these are for the real specialists in maths, further maths physics etc um but they have specifically been asked to do outreach to girls um, to get more girls into into that way so yeah let's we, we need to just we do really need to debunk this but i think in, in the same sector when we look at the pandemic one of the things that's been encouraging um has been the high profile nature of women in the development of the vaccine and obviously in NHS roles, when you think, you know, Kate Bingham and others, um, I don't know if, if your viewers may have watched, um, there's a BBC Panorama programme about the development of the AstraZeneca vaccine. And it's stunning. you just kind of like, hey, this is women. This is women who have been at the forefront of this. So we need that in technology as well, as I think breaking down that barrier in science. If you're a user, why can't you be the person developing it or designing yeah. it?
0: That's a great way to put it. I want to touch on something. So you've alluded to it there, but I saw the news in May that the the skills and post-19 education bill was introduced in Parliament. So what role would you say that apprenticeships and placements have in encouraging young people into a career in technology or indeed any STEM industry?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that the the bill that you're talking about is building on um, the apprenticeships and also the T levels, which are the beginning of the 16, um, post-16 qualifications to be like A level or T level. And that is about placing the employers at the heart of developing this. So we're continuing that in the technical education, because also what young people need, all young people need, but they need to know that if I do this level four, level five, which is the gap between sort of A levels and an undergraduate degree forget those qualifications it will qualify me to do blank job and the employer has been involved so this is like a rubber stamp for them so we just we do need to get more uh, girls into apprenticeships and get that message out there it's the earn whilst um whilst you learn sort of model, um, i think we are beginning to culturally see that change in the uk in in england particularly of the parity of esteem of doing an apprenticeship and uh, technical qualifications um which are a different set of skills Often to doing your classic A levels and university. That's a very well understood path. What's not so well understood is the path to either apprenticeships at what we call level three, four, and five, or even degree apprenticeships. And my colleague um, who, who is the minister for this, Julian um, Keegan, is the only MP, I believe, who's got a degree apprenticeship. So that's what we want to see. But we are beginning to see, there's some news reports I saw recently of parents really want to encourage, beginning to encourage their their kids into, go and get apprenticeship, go and get, that's the way to, to, to do it. Um, so I think we are beginning to see that also, you know, the earn whilst you learn is, is really important. And when I first took office here, I have a team of civil servants who work directly with me. One of those uh, uh, recruit, um, that team that, at that time w- had come into the civil service through, an appre- through being an apprentice. Oh, she wow. was br- she was brilliant. Um, so I had that first hand experience of like, oh my goodness, she she was only she must have only been 22, 23. I was like, oh my goodness, she got all this work experience under her belt from eighteen really good a really positive way of entering um the workforce but the whole change as well around the legislation i think what what viewers may your listeners viewers may have seen is around freeing up the loan entitlement from just being more pegged to a full-time three-year undergraduate de- degree so people will from 2025 assuming the legislation goes through um we will have a lifelong loan entitlement system where you'll have four years of entitlement and you'll be able to use that over your lifetime and you'll be able to go up and down the the qualification levels. So, you know, you might set off and do like a level four, level five in one industry, 20 years later, you might want to retrain and you'd still have an entitlement to go and do another level four and level five, but in a different sector. And I think with tech and how that's developing, And that I know many of the apprenticeship um, um, standards are developed by tech companies. That's going to help it going. It's always going to be the employer saying, these are the skills we need. This is what the apprenticeship should deliver. This is what these qualifications should deliver. And people have the flexibility um, to come in and out of different um, skill sectors because they'll have this uh, lifelong loan entitlement.
0: Yeah, I love that approach because we don't really have you're a great example of this we don't really have one career now do we in our lifetime we do two three different things so yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. and to give people the and also it's to free up part-time learning and I think for many women when you think about women in tech being able to do your study part-time and work it around maybe a part-time job or work it around family or, or other caring commitments I hope will be really appealing to many women
0: yeah. Now, you're very active on Twitter at Baroness EB. We'll include that in the show notes so people can reach out to you as well. But I've recently seen you talking a lot to the hashtag uh, Build Back Better. Mm-hmm. So As we recover from COVID-19 as a society globally, that is what what do you think the opportunity for women to build back better looks like?
1: Oh, I, th- I think it, I think if employers, as you say, can can keep hold of this cultural change around flexible working, I think that's a great opportunity uh, to include more women in the workforce. But I think we also, though, we want to it's, what is very important to many women and particularly many young people is this is the net zero agenda and building back better is about building back with gre- you know the green technology. I happen to have the privilege in the Department for Education of being in charge of um, the capital of school buildings and looking at how we build new buildings in a way that that are net zero is really important. So I I think when we look at building back better, I think also as well, people have seen from the pandemic uh, as maybe a different slightly less frantic way of living
0: which mm. i
1: do hope that with the flexibility in the workplace um many women will, will come into um the workforce um and and take advantage of that flexible uh, working but i and i do hope that they will just um yeah we're doing what we can to help them think about different areas we're running we're ever developing new training. So we've got these short 16 week, I think they are boot camps, which are, you know, trying to skill people. And I think it gives them an interview at the end. So there's lots of flexibility around how you train even now. Um, but I think I think the women out there and women in the workplace, it never forget that actually there are people coming up behind you. We all need, as well, that person who's ahead of you that you think, oh, my goodness, you know, at our stage of our career. But trying to encourage young people, you know, I've had such, you may have seen on Twitter, such an inspirational time through a friend met sort of getting alongside a young woman who came to the UK from Syria seven years ago as a refugee, that kind of thing, you know. If, and, and we can only, you know, I think individually, you can only do that for, like, one or two people. But if everybody was doing that for one or two people, we don't have the whole place, you know, So I think just really investing in helping uh, people coming through uh, behind you, she's gone into law, is also um, really important. And you get with all these things, I, I get so much more out of that than I give.
0: Yeah. And for anybody listening to this who wants a shot of inspiration, motivation, please go and check out the Baroness on Twitter and your blog, indeed. I've been catching up on that. So uh, earlier in your life, I believe you spent time in Trinidad and Tobago and Ghana. I did. I
1: absolutely loved
0: it. (laughs) So I know that one of your favorite African proverbs is something I really believe in too. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. How has that proverb impacted you personally during your life?
1: Yeah, I mean, as, as I say, I, I've needed the people alongside to give you advice and and um, along the way, you know, when I was, my first career was as a barrister, I had absolutely no idea about um, uh, chambers and, and what that is. And if I hadn't have had people to advise me when I got my pupillage office, uh, you know, I, I might have made the, the wrong decision. So, yeah, we, we you know, we, we do, we all need each other. And you, and it's not just about the encouragement and support. You need people on side to tell you when you're getting it wrong. You know, because yeah. I think there's many a mistake and a pitfall. Uh, I've created some of my own there, but that I have avoided. But just because, you know, people are prepared to say the hard things to you and the unpleasant things to you. And, um, you know, and I've, I've had you know that with, with people coming behind me, you know, telling people, no, I don't think... Looking at what you're doing, why are you thinking about being a barrister? You seem to love China. Why don't you be a solicitor and you can, you know, and that person was like really shocked. But I thought it was the first person to say, have you not considered that that might not be the right route for you? So being, you know, having people with you, yes, you can go further, but also being open to listen to that constructive criticism
0: along the way. I love that feedback. Now, I know your time is very, very uh, short. Thank you for spending some time with us today. As we come to the end of our time together, let me ask you this. We fast forward three years time. If you and I were to sit and have a conversation again about women and girls in technology, what would you have hoped has changed?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think women setting up businesses, young people. I mean, I've met a really the inspirational young woman Grace Valor, who set up a women's football kit business, and that's fabulous. So seeing young women who started up those businesses, as well as seeing you know more more women in that workplace, um, and also seeing the apprenticeships, you know, seeing more of a parity of esteem and more women in, in, in that role. And also the math school seeing at that sort of end of the more academic end of end of the spectrum, seeing more um, young women, and particularly from what we call the left-behind areas. Um, yeah, seeing, you know, um young women who are, you know, for want of a better term, you know, the white working class kind of thing, coming through and, uh, and taking their place as well. That's, I think, would be a great inspiration as well. And particularly there are other groups as well who don't, push them, put themselves forward um, you know the gypsy roma community have particular issues to do with education so seeing those groups as well as part of that would be really important i think it's an exciting time though in technology an exciting time for women getting involved we are seeing that momentum of it just not being acceptable to have certain views and not being acceptable to, you know to not include women in your business plan yeah
0: they are your customers after all <laughs> absolutely yeah you've hit the nail on the head there this has been a really uplifting conversation thank you so much for your time today barry's very, appreciate it
1: your time take care
0: This season of Tub Talk is brought to you by Barracuda MSP. Every 11 seconds, there's a new ransomware attack. There are so many ransomware attacks, governments are now classifying them as terrorism. You've seen the news, oil pipelines, universities, corporations, all paying millions of dollars. It's not just big companies that are being targeted. Small and medium-sized businesses are becoming victims too. So what are you as an MSP doing to help your clients from becoming the next statistic? Barracuda MSP is here to help ensure you and your clients are prepared and protected against the inevitable ransomware attack. 1. Attacks start with an innocent-looking email that tricks users into revealing usernames and passwords. Barracuda MSP can train your clients on your behalf to recognize an attack and enable you to deploy anti-phishing technology. 2. Secure clients' web applications. File-sharing services, web forms, and e-commerce sites often have weak points hackers are looking for. If hackers get into these applications, they go after business data. Protect access to these applications so hackers can't get onto your client's network. Three, backup is a must. Today's solutions make it simple and fast to protect archives and backup or restore an up-to-date copy of an entire server or an individual file. Let Barracuda MSP help you strengthen your ransomware protection plans. As a special offer for TubTalk listeners, visit barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP. That's barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP.